I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So today we're gonna talk about how to have a good relationship with yourself. Like the legit physical mechanics. What is it that you have to do so that you feel connected to yourself? I know when I was in early sobriety, I was completely unaware of how it would be to be a person who likes herself, knows herself, feels like she's in control of herself, can spend time alone without pouring vodka down my throat, doesn't beat myself up. I just wanted to feel like a person. And what I know about my own experience and from working with clients is this relationship with yourself, it's kind of a blind spot. You are a person who walks and talks and you have opinions and you know what you like and what you don't like in terms of what you want to eat and what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And you know kind of some of your strengths and your weaknesses. But the blind spot is that sense of connection with yourself. And from working with women, this is the biggest question that we get to is, okay, I get it. I need to work on my relationship with myself, but how? How? And what does that mean? So today we're going to talk about what does it mean to have a good relationship and how do you change your relationship with yourself? If the one that you have is so bad and toxic and yeah, you've been abusing your body um, with whether it be strict diet culture or whether it be alcohol or extreme exercise or again, just that mental chatter of beating yourself up, it, how do you change all that? What does that look like? And that is the million dollar question. That is the question you have to answer in order to make the changes. You have to understand what it is that you want. Most of the women that I work with, and I would put myself in this category, we are people who can get stuff done and we are hard workers. We love our people. When we see somebody that's in pain, like give me five minutes and a pad of paper and I can get it all solved for somebody else. And part of that is because when it's not your problem, you've got an objective perspective. You know how to access resources. You're not emotionally bound by all the crazy stories we tell ourselves that is holding us back. So when you have somebody in your life that you want to help, it seems pretty easy. And I would define myself, identify myself as a person who is a helper. I'm a nurturer. I'm a teacher. I know how to help other people. The problem was I didn't know how to help myself. And the first step to changing something is to identify what it is that you want, especially with this elusive, ethereal, emotional stuff. You know, it's not just your typical goal of, okay, I want to lose weight and that means I need to lose X number of pounds or I want to have better meals so I need to get a cookbook and you know, batch my recipes and then go to the grocery. Like we all know how to plan for that stuff. It's this identity and this sense of connection that we have a blind spot. And so I want to start with what does it mean to have a good relationship with yourself? And I just want to go through some ideas. Um, Basically, what you're looking for is symptoms of of having a good relationship? What would you be experiencing if you did? And the first thing I would point out is that when you have a good relationship with yourself, you feel connected 
to something greater than yourself. And that's important because only when you're connected to something other and bigger and greater than yourself are you able to develop a sense of purpose and meaning. Part of our mental health as humans is to have a sense of identity. And you have to orient yourself in your environment, whether that be your community, whether that be your career, whether that be your physical place in nature, whatever it is, you have to have a sense of you being separate from other people and what your role is. But the kicker is that your role has to be attached to your sense of purpose. It has to give you meaning within your tribe. You can have a role as a line cook at McDonald's and be able to orient yourself quite well to where you're supposed to be during your shift and what other people need from you. But if you don't have a sense that the reason that you're working at McDonald's is because you are earning money for something special or contributing in some way to a greater purpose, then it's going to feel monotonous and pointless. We have to have a sense of identity within a community that feels like we are of value and that brings us joy to participate and to give of ourselves and to show up even when it's hard. You know, there's a saying by a philosopher that goes, a man can endure almost any how if he understands his why. Another symptom of a good relationship is that you are comfortable being alone. Even when you experience loneliness because maybe you don't have the right kind of friends or you don't have the right kind of job or you feel isolated for some reason, even when you experience loneliness, it doesn't feel personal. Instead, you're able to identify, oh, I need community, I need communication, I need to see people, you know, I need I need some sort of connection besides just me doing my own thing. And that loneliness, instead of taking you down and you taking it personally, becomes a call to action. You know, you understand that loneliness is a normal emotion. You accept that and then you problem solve for that. Another thing is that even though you may experience loneliness and recognize the need to have people in your life, you also appreciate alone time. And when you're alone, you don't always experience loneliness. You actually can experience solitude and peace. You actually yearn for that sense of quiet where there's no stimulation and you don't need to fill the silence distracting yourself from yourself or using other people to distract yourself or keep you busy. And when you're alone, you are able to balance consuming with creating. So I know as a drinker, this symptom was way off for me. I didn't I didn't create anymore. You know, not, that's not to say I never did. It was not an all or nothing thing. But the more I got wrapped up into my addiction, the more my time alone I was consuming. I was consuming alcohol, Netflix. Um, maybe I was listening to podcasts and books. I was eating my face off. Like I always just had to bring stuff into me because I was trying to change the way I felt. Um, so that didn't leave time or space for me to create, whether it be create just a, a peaceful environment and sing or create writing or, or create, you know, cool spaces in my house. And again, this isn't all or nothing. It's not like I never created anything, but the scales were definitely tipped towards the consuming. Another symptom of having a good relationship with yourself is that you respect your body and your space. You take the time to go to the grocery store and have stuff on hand to cook for meals, even if it's just you. You respect your body's need for movement. You respect your body's need for sleep. I know for me, one of the reasons I felt so disconnected to myself was that after 20 years of being a mother, 
where I got up in the morning and I did have a sense of purpose and meaning, but it had nothing to do with me. I had to get breakfast ready for five people and school bags packed and laundry done and sports schedules done and the things I was involved with and volunteered or working, whatever I was doing, I had to make sure that everything was packed and ready for everybody else. And as my children were leaving the nest, um, you know, it all came to a head. My drinking ramped up because I didn't know how to fill my time. I didn't know what to do when I had time because I wasn't used to having it. So some of it was just a bad habit. You know, I wasn't used to filling that space in silence with myself. And I had long ago sacrificed my own opinion because it was the one thing, the one opinion I could ignore. You know, if if my family said, hey, where do we want to go to dinner? I didn't even have an opinion because to me, I was fifth or sixth in line or however many people we were going, you know, I couldn't afford my own opinion because I had to navigate so many else, so many other people's. And in the end, I just got really disconnected from my own opinions and thoughts because I didn't make room for them because to me, the cost of that was too high. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a normal part of motherhood and busyness and that time in life when we are, you know, mid 30s and 40s where we are just doing all the things. I think it's very normal to get disconnected. And I think that disconnect played a big part in, you know, the acceleration of my own addiction. I just didn't have a sense of who I was and what I needed beyond what other people saw in me and needed from me. Um, But when you take care of yourself in your space, you know, like for me, I don't have a perfectly clean car. I'm not one of those because you know what? I do still cart kids and stuff and me and my dog go somewhere every day. I don't really see a need to uh, pretend I don't have a dog. If somebody gets in my car, please don't sit in the back left seat. And if you do, you're going to get dog hair on you. But I keep my space clean, you know, so I think we all have a different level of where we have to balance overthinking and overdoing to meet some state of perfectionism, but then also, you know, respecting ourselves. And my car can get pretty dirty. Like I've gotten in the car and my dad's gotten in my car unannounced. I didn't know he was coming and been so embarrassed, but it hadn't been an embarrassment to me when I was by myself. And yet I do appreciate when I clean my car. I do appreciate getting in and not having a big bag of trash in my side pocket and not having dust all over. You know, it's taking care of your space is important. And it, it there's no right or wrong. It doesn't always have to be perfect. You may be a person that likes to make your bed and you may be a person that gives zero fucks about making the bed. I kind of go back and forth. Like sometimes I make my bed and sometimes I don't. Um, but I understand the importance of taking care of things like paying my bills on time. I don't leave my dishes in my sink. Now, my kids will leave dishes in the sink, but when I'm alone, I wipe off my counters and do the basics. It's just nice to feel like I'm on top of things, and I respect my body and my space because if and when I don't, it creates anxiety. It makes me feel like I've got more to do than I probably do. I can't think when I'm, you know, surrounded by clutter. And so I just, I take care of my body and my space. Another symptom of what it means to have a good relationship with yourself is that you're able to tolerate things, hard stuff, without beating yourself up or scaring the shit out of yourself. And what do I mean by that? That means like something happens. Let's say you get fired or downsized. You don't tell yourself that this is all your fault and you should have seen it coming and your life is ruined and you're never going to be financially secure. You know, instead you're, you treat yourself like a real person, like, oh God, this sucks. This is really hard. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I might need some help. I need to cry. I need to tell my story because this isn't fair. But there's not a a sense of turning on yourself, that self-abandonment where something hard happens and you immediately shame and berate and beat yourself up. 
you know, and that applies to all sorts of things. If you have a good relationship with yourself and suddenly you're like, oh, crap, I gained 50 pounds over COVID. You recognize that, yeah, you got to make some changes and probably it's going to suck on the front end. But you know that you're going to be at least somewhat successful and that you're going to be so much better off and you're willing to try because you respect yourself and living as you are isn't really an option if you're uncomfortable in your skin and and you can't do things like you used to. And so you're willing to recognize that perhaps you've made a mistake and there's hard stuff that you need to do, maybe some crap you need to deal with. But you're not, you're not treating yourself like an absolute waste of a human being. You have a positive and compassionate and considerate self-talk. And I know when I was having problems connecting with myself, I really wasn't even aware of how nasty I talked to myself. Because, of course, our thoughts are our feelings And I wasn't really paying attention to either one of them. And so I kind of just lived in this existential dread and shame, not connecting it to words, which was me telling myself, I couldn't control myself. I'm an embarrassment. Something is wrong with me. I need to hide, you know, all of those things. I'm I'm ashamed. I, I didn't connect the words, but my feelings would have been the symptom that would have revealed that I had some really nasty, toxic, abusive conversations in my head. And when you have a positive, compassionate self-talk, you are able to see yourself from many different angles. Like for me, sometimes I, I have compassion for myself as I would my own child you know, almost very childlike. It's going to be okay. What do you need right now? It's not your fault. We can fix this. I'm here to help you. Sometimes I address myself more of like how I would a friend. And sometimes I even address myself as like I would my parent. Forgiving myself for forgetfulness or flabbiness or an inability to climb that mountain as fast as everybody else and reminding myself of how how precious of a person I am and how loved and important and wise I am. Giving myself credit for showing up, you know, just verbally and of course, non-verbally, you're doing this in your head, but just being complimentary and being soothing, being the compassionate, wise adult who doesn't overreact You know, I said something before about not scaring the shit out of yourself. And I just want you to think about when you do have anxiety that comes up. You need the adult rational version of you to hold space. You know, imagine if your child has a nightmare and wakes up screaming and you run in and they're like, oh, there's a monster in the in the closet. Well, imagine if as the adult you were like, oh, fuck, there's a monster in the closet. Like, just imagine if that's how you reacted to your child's fears. Instead of soothing and turning on the light and let's look at the monster. Oh, we can handle this. It's a teddy bear. Or let's look at the problem. Let's break it down. Let's let's come up with our options and look at what resources we have and what, what else do we need. If you That's how we help people with their problems. But so often in our own brains, we don't detach enough from our emotions because we're not really aware that what we're feeling is linked to our thoughts. And so we don't pull out the thought and be like, yeah, I don't think losing your job as much as it sucks means that you're never going to be financially dependent and nobody's ever going to talk to you again and you're going to go live in a cave. Like, I don't really think that's what's going to happen. You know, because when we're in a stress response from any situation, our brains just go to the most negative, worst case scenario. And if we don't recognize that we're in a, having a stress response because we're not aware of ourselves and of our bodies and of our nervous systems, then we take everything really personally. And we're on the roller coaster and we're getting jerked all around and we don't have a stable ground, a, a version of ourselves that witnesses 
and watches and holds space for this chaotic experience that we're all going through every day out in the world. We don't have a safe place to come back to. Having a good relationship with yourself means you are your own safe place. And many of us, most of us, never learn how to be our safe place, our own safe place as children. Some of this is innate, and certainly we do it at certain times, but it's never taught as a skill. We're taught to either suck it in and hold it in and pretend nothing is bothering us, or we're taught to, you know, naturally we rely on other people and talk about our problems. But we're never really told specifically and explicitly that it's possible to become your own safe place. And I can tell you that it is possible because I am my own self place. And the sad woman sitting there sipping on the vodka or glugging it, whatever, uh, did not know that that was possible. I did not know that I was not connected to myself. I did not know that everything I thought was true that was not true. And so now I'm going to break down the action steps and I'm going to answer the question specifically, how? How do you change your relationship with yourself? And the big picture is that you do that like you would change your relationship with any other human being. I mean, have you ever been to couples counseling? What do they tell you? You know, they tell you to spend time together, make a date night. They tell you to notice and compliment each other on good stuff. They tell you to adjust your communication Use I language instead of saying, you know, you're an asshole. Just say, you know, I feel frustrated. How does this translate to our internal dialogue? You know, instead of saying, I can't do that. My life is over. I'm bitter and resentful or I'm anxious or I'll never change. I can't change. I'll never get this right. I can't do that. Instead of saying all of that, Again, recognizing our emotional experience as separate from our identity, using I language, I am experiencing anxiety, or I am really experiencing disappointment, I am experiencing fear, I am experiencing uncertainty. Just using language to distance yourself, detach yourself, separate your emotions from your identity allows you to get some perspective that your emotions are temporary. Even if you do nothing, this will pass. And when you say things like, I am experiencing anxiety, your brain's listening and your brain might sense that, okay, there's a problem here that we can solve, and the problem is the anxiety. If you say, I'm anxious because, and you rattle off your story, you're not giving your brain a chance to separate the external circumstance, which is always neutral, it is what it is, from your reaction to it, which is, I'm experiencing anxiety as a result of my thoughts about this. And so using language in your inside voice to, so when you catch yourself saying, I'm anxious, I'm old, I'm, I'm bitter, I'm, I can't change, come up and, and force yourself to do a redo. Give yourself a redo. How else can I put that? Same way you do that in a relationship where you're trying to adjust your communication. You know, one thing that may sound crazy and it's not is that you do need to have a dialogue with yourself. You can't have a good relationship with somebody that you never talk to or that you never make them laugh. I make myself laugh a lot. And often I'm like, nobody else think that's funny, but we in here, all the people on my little funny committee in my brain, we think that's hilarious. I crack myself up all the time. And one of the ways you can establish a, a, a sense of dialogue is to switch in and out of third person. And no, you're not going to end up on some obnoxious episode of Seinfeld. You know, they had that episode where Jerry's friend or somebody was always using his first name and it was weird. You don't do this out loud, okay? But doing it in your head gives your brain, you know, kind of a conversation ball to bounce back and forth. It brings a level of consciousness to your inner dialogue You are aware and you can direct the conversation instead of just listening to the top 10 hits on You Suck Radio. 
you can take a more objective perspective to yourself as a human being. So Colleen's having a tough day. What should we do for her? Or, you know, that really hurt Colleen's feelings. And God, I get that. That was a shitty comment. Or maybe it hurt her feelings. And I understand why she's sensitive because of all that crap that happened last year with this. You know, of course she's sensitive. Like, let's give her a break. Let's see what she needs. I talk to myself in and out of first, second, and third person all the time. And it definitely gives me a sense of community. I'm not going to lie. It's very, um, it keeps me in perspective that I'm a human. It keeps, it reminds me that I'm, I matter as well. So, you know, in addition to communicating, how else do you change a relationship with a human being, which you are, is random acts of kindness. Do little things. Pick yourself up some flowers or pick some from the yard. Make your bed, clean out your car, do the little things that you know you appreciate. And you can use your history with other people to identify what these little things are and then do them for yourself. And as you hear me say that, there may be some resistance, like I don't feel like it. Okay, yeah, you don't have to feel like it. And in fact, you won't feel the connection with yourself before you take the action. You won't feel connected until you are walking into your bedroom and realizing you made your bed this morning and then, oh my God, thank you for making my bed. And then thank yourself for making your bed. Acknowledge the little things you do just like you would with another person. You guys, this isn't that complicated if you start thinking of yourself as a human being who appreciates little things and being noticed and being spoken to kindly And having your feelings validated without necessarily buying in and throwing more shit on the fire. You just want to feel seen and heard. Well, see and hear yourself. And that's another thing is eye contact in the mirror. I tell you what, I can make myself cry. If I am having a hard day, I will go into my mirror and I will look at myself and I will be like, girl, Oh my God, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud that you are choosing to do hard things. And even on days when I really didn't do all the hard things, and maybe that's why I'm having a hard day, I look at myself in the mirror and say, it doesn't matter. You're okay. You're still my favorite person. You're still worthy of love. And when you start treating yourself this way, even though it might feel a little distanced or outside third person or a little weird, your nervous system reacts to this. You are creating a safe space for yourself. So make a list of small ways that you can show appreciation for yourself and do something every single day. Just a few few little things or, or a few things a week and then thank yourself for doing them. Do it and thank yourself for doing it. You know, what are some little things? Take yourself to the bookstore or to the farmer's market. But here's the thing. Don't do it because you have to, because it's a chore and you just have to get through it. Intention of the task matters. Just like when you do something for someone else, you get so much joy in Doing, going the extra mile, maybe creating something special, surprising that person. You get so much joy from that because your actions have meaning. And when you mean to do something special for yourself and you don't treat those tasks like chores, but instead have a sense that you are giving a gift, you're giving a gift to yourself, Suddenly, the energy that it takes to do those things is much less. It's almost negligible. When you're doing something for a person, a human being, it gives you joy. And that same thought process, that same emotional connection to your efforts applies when you're doing it with yourself. I'm doing this right now because I decided that for my 50th birthday, I'm going to do a sprint triathlon. 
each event in and of itself is not like anything crazy. I, I got to ride 10 miles on a bike. I got to swim 500 meters and I got to run a 5k. I've run marathons. I've ridden, you know, 20 miles on my bike without it even being a thing. So it's not the actual event. It's more the opportunity to give myself a reason to be training all summer long. The actual event, that's my victory lap. I've already will have completed the real event, which was three months of training in the summer. And instead of telling myself that I have to train, I use that third party uh, communication with myself. And I think, okay, you know, we are doing this for Colleen because it's really important for her on her 50th birthday to feel strong and capable like she still got it, it's really important to Colleen to celebrate her birthday in this way, which means that today on July, whatever, we're going to go out and we're going to swim 500 meters. And then tonight we're going to put in a two mile run because we're doing this for Colleen because she deserves it. She deserves to cross her birthday and a finish line in the same weekend. And when I frame it like that to myself, it no longer feels like something I have to do. It feels like, oh, you know, I'm focused on the joy I'm going to experience, the gift I'm giving myself by participating in this. And it just changes everything. Try it if you don't believe me. And this speaks to like your motivation. Why is it important to have a good relationship with yourself? Well, let's talk about quality of life. The alternative is that you're going to feel lonely and sad and scared and beat down all the time. You know, the hard stuff that is going to happen to you will happen to you anyway. Wouldn't it be better to go through life with a friend? You're going to have an identity. You're going to have a way that you think of yourself. And it's all in your head anyway. Sorry, but identity is a mental construct. And so if you can think whatever you want about yourself, why don't you just think that you want to think good? It is so much more enjoyable to go through life with a compassionate headmate, if you will, your inner roommate. Like you can train yourself to be your own best friend. And that's literally what I'm telling you to do is that you have to train yourself. These are habits, ways of thinking, ways of doing. You have to catch yourself talking bad. You have to change the intentions you're putting behind things. You have to make a list and check it. Like you have to set the goal. I want to have a good relationship with myself. And that's why we are doing this because you want to enjoy your own life. And life is going to be hard one way or another, right? So you might as well feel like you do have a sense of purpose and meaning and knowing who you are in the middle of the chaos, knowing that there's a safe place right in, in your body. Like it, you can take it with you wherever you go. You're not relying on other people to be what you can be and provide for yourself. And that speaks to the fact that when you have a good relationship with yourself, you're able to have healthy, non-dysfunctional relationships with other people because you're no longer relying on them to be all of the things you need, companionship and validation and approval and your anxiety buster and talking you off the ledge all the time. Like you can learn to do these things for yourself and that will drastically change how you show up in relationships. Having a healthy relationship with yourself allows you to integrate. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the image that you project to others, who you think they see and who you try to be so that they see who you want them to see, is the same person as who you think you are. So you are no longer in some ways feeling like you're performing. And even though you may not be aware of that, if your personality changes in different audiences, then to some extent you are. To some extent we all do it. But the better you have a relationship with yourself, the less likely you are to compromise who you are. 
because you know who you are and you know who other people are and you're no longer relying on other people to tell you who you are. And so you can tell them who you are and just cut through the bullshit. So it having a good relationship with yourself allows you to be integrated. And the other thing it allows is for you to be able to acknowledge and deal with your shadow. And I'm not going to do a real deep dive with that, but your shadow is all of the subconscious feelings that you're afraid to acknowledge. And the problem with not acknowledging the dark parts of yourself is that if you don't bring them into consciousness, then you are not conscious of them and then they have power over you. They become unresolved emotions and subconscious baggage that bites you in the ass. Pretending that you do not experience dark urges doesn't make them go away. But the good news is that acknowledging them makes you less likely to act on them. And the truth is we all have dark thoughts, dark urges. You know, you can't argue against a perspective unless you can actually see it, which means in some way you can identify with it. And your shadow is whoever or whatever it is that you are afraid of becoming. You know, I am selfish. I am lazy. I am mean. I would never do that because that's not who I am. If you want to meet your shadow, just ask yourself, what offends you greatly? What sort of person or personality trait or characteristics do you find offensive? Who and when do you judge other people? Because you think in some way you've got it all figured out. You see the dark urge, but you're above it. You don't act on it. For me, my shadow is... I get triggered by people who fucking don't know what they're talking about, right? Or people who take without reciprocating, the freeloaders, or people who hoard resources with no sense that, you know, there's other people in the world and that maybe if they weren't such selfish, greedy pigs, you know, billionaires and millionaires and people who, you know, run big companies and get hundreds of thousand dollars worth of or millions of dollars worth of bonuses. And then, you know, let's say who Jeff Bezos run in the Amazon uh, warehouses, but that the people working there who make it all happen don't have time to pee. Those sort of people really ruffle my feathers. Or people who are snooty and rude and exclusive. Or conversely, the people who don't have their shit together. People who wallow in self-pity and super negativity and every excuse as to why they can't help themselves and they refuse to help themselves. Like those sort of people, that's my shadow. Or or the other thing is is people, especially women, who are enablers. They spend so much of their time trying to help other people, not really realizing that, you know, they are creating more problems for other people and also not taking care of themselves. It's hard for me to have compassion for somebody that, you know, doesn't have time to cook and eat and sleep for themselves because they're running around, you know, thinking that they have to do all this for other people. Like those, those sorts of situations trigger me. And I'd be real ignorant to not pay attention that those fears are informing me of who I am, not who they are. I am guilty of all those things in different contexts and other perspectives. All of the things that are that are bothering me are actually reflecting the parts of myself that I either need to heal or change or improve or you know, or the parts of me that I want to avoid and not acknowledge. And you may think, well, that's not a part of me. I am not that. And here's what I have to say. Identity, it's just a set of ideas. It's just our values of what we think is right and wrong and good and bad and important or not important and fair and unfair. And those are beliefs. And beliefs can change. A belief is just a thought you no longer question because you think it's true. But all of these things are ideas. Your identity, my identity, it's a mental construct, except for the basic facts of I am a certain weight and height and 
this is what I look like. And this is, you know, what I sound like. And this is what I smell like. You know, my dog can identify me. Those are the basic circumstances. Everything else that, that is who I am, those, that's a self-constructed idea that I'm projecting into the world. And maybe you're buying my bullshit. But all of our ideas require perspective. Every idea is just one perspective of the universe. And perspective always depends on where you're standing. Perspective depends on who's telling the story. And given that we can change and our needs can change and our perspective can change, the parts of ourselves that we don't want to be, we have to acknowledge we could be that in that situation. Like, if until you've walked in someone's shoes, who they are is exactly who you would be if you were wearing those shoes. And we're afraid of that. And that is what creates our shadow. And having a good relationship with yourself allows you to acknowledge that shadow. You form a relationship with your shadow the same way, like, imagine you have a child, again, scary, waking up from the dream. And maybe just imagine there's a flashlight on the floor and the flashlight is is going over a, a stuffed animal and there's a big old uh, monster shadow on the wall. That's all your shadow is. It's literally a shadow. It's a shadow of thoughts and ideas. It doesn't actually exist. If you died and we did an autopsy, they would not cut out these dark thoughts or they would never be found. And if you're afraid of your shadow because you're not able to see what's causing it, which are just thoughts that pop into your head, any thought can pop into your head at any time. You don't have to attach meaning and you can change your relationship with your thoughts so that you you don't have to take them seriously. You don't have to be afraid of them. And the thoughts, of course, then that make your feelings what you learn to do when you have a good relationship with yourself, and of course you understand emotional sobriety, whether you call it that or not, you're able to investigate the source of the fear and realize the source is just a thought and your thoughts are harmless unless you think they're not. It is only by thinking that a thought or idea has power that you give it power. So, all right, how then, big, big picture, land the plane, how do you have a good relationship with yourself? Let me give you a couple of final action items. First of all, big, big first step, you have to make it a goal. You have to want it. You have to acknowledge first that either you don't feel connected to yourself or that you want to feel more connected to yourself. That's it. And the key to any goal is having a vision. If you don't know something is possible, then you don't know to even wish for it. And you sure as hell don't know how to get it. And so the more clear you get on the vision that you want for yourself, for your relationship with yourself, the closer you can get with that vision. And that's what I've tried to do in this episode is to lay out the vision of what it is that you want and why. And so a couple of questions to ask yourself is, how do you feel about your relationship with yourself right now? In general, of course, because your emotional states are temporary. The biggest illusion of all is that you actually don't have a relationship with yourself because you do. You live in a body, okay? And you know that you go in and out of times where you feel really confident and really connected. You're firing on all cylinders and then something happens or you go through another phase or whatever and then you don't feel like it. So just answer the question in general how do you feel about your relationship right now? And if right now you're feeling like a rock star, then just think about how you react when you feel depressed and anxious and things aren't going your way. I mean, you know yourself, right? And then number two, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel about yourself? Like stop and make a list. Think about how you feel about people that you love, people that you admire. I'm assuming you would want to admire yourself and that you would want to love yourself. So let's get really granular and really clear. How do you want to feel about yourself? Name it. Be specific. And then notice how much resistance comes up when you think about having the audacity to admire yourself. You might think like, 
I can't just do that if I haven't earned it. Well, says who? Earned what? Those thoughts are exactly what is blocking you. These are the rules that you are making for yourself and holding yourself back with. If you want to be a rule breaker, the first rules you have to break are your own. Then, after you have a list of those feelings, number three, what thoughts would you need to think about yourself in order to feel that way? And those thoughts don't have to be true. Good news, none of your thoughts are true. But what thoughts would you have to think in order to feel that way? And again, be specific. Make a list. I'm the type of person that Well, here for me, I'm the type of person that walks my dog. I'm the type of person that cooks for myself. I'm the type of person that's really passionate and generous and kind, but not nice. (laughs) I like being kind, not nice. That's been newer to me in emotional sobriety. I am uh, really smart. I like, I'm educated. I like to read, you know, just all the things like describe who who it is that you want to be, those are actually thoughts. So make a list of the thoughts that you would need to think about yourself to feel the way you want to feel about yourself. And let this be your vision. Like put it somewhere that you can see. Keep your eye on it. If you're going to set a goal, you have to stay connected with what the goal actually is so that you can work on it. And just a side note, if you are having trouble with this step, I want you to find or think about a role model. Somebody that you know or somebody that you know of who has a good relationship with themselves. Like, think about that person. How do you know they have a good relationship with themselves? What is the evidence? Like, literal evidence. Is it just a sense? If it is a sense, can you articulate that sense? What are they doing? What do you see? Maybe it's just the way they talk, the way they carry themselves. In which case, One of your thoughts is I have good posture and I speak from my diaphragm. Like, I don't know. But if it is, if it is kind of ethereal, bring it down into consciousness. What's the evidence, physical evidence? Maybe it's their energy. What does that look like and feel like? Do they speak slowly and calmly or are they bubbly? Like, what is it that you can identify in somebody else that you would like to have for yourself? Or something like it, you know, like you may really admire somebody who's really grounded and calm, but you're like, yeah, that's not who I actually want to be, but I know that person has a good relationship with themselves. Okay, well then start where they are and modify the version that you would like to wear as your own identity and your own self. And so to sum it up, make a list of the thoughts you want to think about yourself. And then of course, you're not going to get off easy, make a list of actions that you need to take to support that thought. What do you need to do to be that? And then, you know, it's not just simple actions, make a make a plan for when and how often you will take those actions and when and how often you will revisit this list and when and how often you will make time for yourself just like you would any human being. Like make a plan. If you were in couples counseling, you would walk out the door with some sort of specific plan that you could articulate, make a plan for yourself. And then finally, kind of a vague but really important question to ask yourself, how will you know when you've arrived? How will you know when you have the relationship you have with yourself? And that may be a simple answer, but it may elicit some deeper thoughts. And I encourage you to think about them. So thank you so much for listening and reach out to me and let me know how this episode lands for you. I would love to hear about your own progress in this department and any stumbling blocks you have. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode, but I really appreciate you listening. And now I get to the part where I realize that once again, another week has gone by and I have not re-recorded a new outro for the podcast and I will get to it. I will hum it for you, but I would like to say if you are finding value in my work, that you take the time to rate, leave me a review, um, share it on social media. That is how you can support me. I do bring this podcast to you for free. I'm not running ads. Uh, To be fair, I'm not big enough to run ads yet. And 
you know, I'm investing my time in myself and in a relationship with you specifically as a member of my community. And so I would appreciate um, if you could support the podcast by sharing it, Um, not just for me, but for other people, because yeah, I think it's damn good. And if you're getting a lot out of it, somebody else will too. So I appreciate you taking three or five minutes or really one minute. I don't think it takes long. I've left reviews on other podcasts now that I know how important they are, but leave that for me. And then if you are interested in working with me, my options are that I have that bitch free community, uh, bitch free recovery zone uh, that is now a few weeks up and running and it's so fun and you can join that. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. I also have a free one hour masterclass on the foundations of emotional sobriety and that content is, it, there's no obligation to work with me. Um, it's actually, it's jam packed with actionable items that will really help shift the way you're viewing maybe your relationship with alcohol, maybe your relationship with yourself, but really just the big picture of how to shift from what's going on out in the real world to what's going on inside in the real world with you and how to deal with your problems in a different way by using emotional sobriety. And that one hour masterclass is also where I lay out uh, my next chapter program, the 12 week mastermind that I do for women who are ready to make this not just something they're passively listening to and working on, but actually sign up and go through the curriculum for emotional sobriety. And so if you are interested in working with me, whether you're still a drinker, whether you are uh, sober, but you know, maybe you're in AA or there's just kind of a disconnect between your sober life and the life that you want to be living. My program is not about alcohol. But I do include all of the resources. So if you are a drinker, uh, I will get you through your day one. So I have the 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course where you go into that. And if you're not ready to quit drinking, I have a five-hour change your mind masterclass that will help prepare you and make you understand brain change and brain chemistry. And then I have all the other resources that are uh, adjacent to emotional sobriety so that you can dive in. We do group calls twice a week, plus office hours, plus check-in, plus we're active in the bitch-free recovery zone. So my program is an all-inclusive deep dive where 12 weeks from now, you can be you know, the person that you want to be and have the tools to show up for yourself and for life as the person who you want to be. You know, you don't just wake up and become the person you want to be. You have to practice. And that's what we do in the 12-week the next chapter. So you're ready to write the next chapter. And this is really, you know, I designed the program. And so it is very much aligned with women who are, their children are growing up and their roles are changing both at home and in the workplace. Maybe you're phasing out of a career. Maybe it's time to start one, but it's really designed for not just women who have experienced some level of alcohol use disorder, but also who have been giving of themselves for so long that you wake up one day and you just don't know who you are. My 12-week program is designed to help you find yourself and reintroduce you and get coaching with me and meet a great community of other women who get it and who are all working to hold themselves accountable, give each other support, accept guidance, all of that. So anyway, thanks for listening. All of that's in the show notes and I'll see you next week. I'll stop.